0: Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and I want to thank you for being with us today um, as we go over some listener emails. So, Uh, this week I was unable to get together with the guys. So Tony and Tripp once again have the day off, and this is due to a couple of reasons. One of them you'll probably hear in my voice is I'm still trying to get over this darn cold that just won't go away. So I was feeling pretty under the weather when we were supposed to record, and then a bunch of things came up, and then my stepdaughter came down with an ear infection, and we were in the uh, emergency room at four in the morning, and Then we got snowstorms, so it was just a whole series of events and we didn't get together. So I decided what I wanted to do this week to make sure that uh, you guys still had an episode go live on Monday per usual. Um, I went through and I started responding to user emails or uh, listener emails. So people who listen to the Passionate DJ podcast or are on my VIP list, you know, my email newsletter or readers of the blog, that sort of thing. They've been sending me emails. They send me emails all the time, asking questions and that sort of thing. And I don't always get the chance to respond. And so what I wanted to do is, you know, I've got a backlog of these emails that have been sent to me in the past couple of weeks. And so I just decided that uh, what we'll do this time around is I'll just go through to some of those emails and just respond to them right here on this episode of the Passionate DJ Podcast. And that way they can get their questions answered Uh, We could be of some use to them and uh, can, you know, be something that possibly you guys could benefit from as well. So um, there's a lot of great content, a lot of great stuff we're going to talk about today. Uh, I've got five or six questions in here that I'm going to do my best to answer, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So we're just going to jump right into it today. So this is the first email. He says, Hi, David. My name is Daniel, and I've been visiting your site regularly to learn more about DJing. You've helped me a lot to learn DJing, and I really want to thank you. But right now I'm trying to upgrade my current controller to a mid-level controller. I've been a Serato user, and I have enough money to buy a DDJ-SR or a DDJ-SX2. Can you help me decide? Thanks." Okay, so those are both great controller choices for a Serato user. Um, So what is making you have the hang-up? Well, probably the price point, right? The DDJ-SX, um, as I look at it right now on Amazon, you can get for about $1,000, and uh, just for the record, going forward, uh, for simplicity's sake, because I am based in the United States, I'll be giving prices in U.S. dollars, so uh, just keep that in mind. Um, it's about $1,000 for the DDJ, DDJ-SX2 uh, versus 579 U.S. for the SR. So what are you getting for that extra money? Well, if you go with the SR, it's uh, it's a two-channel controller first of all versus the four-channel of the SX2, sort of. So the SR, and I've I've not used the SR in a live environment or anything, so uh, you know I'm basing this just off of what I know about the controller. But it seems more like a you might call it a two plus two. Type of controller. It it only has two channels, but it has four deck control. So you've got two, you know, two line faders in the middle for your volume, just like a standard two channel mixer or controller. And you've got your two jog wheels, and then you've got a button that allows you to switch, you know, on each side between deck one and three, and deck two and four. And I believe what happens when you switch to those other decks is that uh, you You kind of need to match the input of whatever it is you're adjusting for that deck. Um, you know, f- So for instance, if you have a deck at uh, deck one is at full volume and then you switch to another deck um, so that you can control your third or fourth deck, then you'll need to bring whatever control you're trying to adjust, whether that's an EQ or fader, etc., uh, you'll need to bring it down to whatever level it's currently matching. So if it if your deck, uh, you know, your third deck was at 50% volume, uh, then when you switch to it, you'll need to bring your fader down to 50% and then adjust it from there. So it's you can kind of get away with 4-deck control, but it's not a true 4-deck controller, whereas the SX2 is. It's got four actual channels, uh, you know, that you can adjust independently with your volume, your EQ, your gain... Uh, apply effects to them separately and all that kind of stuff and you see it all right there you can meter it all at the same time on your uh, VU meters and that sort of thing. So right there that's uh, where a lot of the price jump comes from. Uh, The SX2 also has XLR outputs which uh, the SR does not have. So if you're planning to connect this to some sort of professional audio rig uh, where you need XLR balanced cables uh, that's something to keep in mind, is that uh, there are not built-in XLR in, uh, outputs on the SR. Uh, the SX2 is a lot bigger, so uh, you do get the benefit of portability with the SR. Um, one big omission, though, f- uh, in other words, one big advantage of the SX2, is that it can be run standalone, uh, In other words, as a standalone mixer. So if I plug in CDJs or turntables or an iPod or whatever into the line-in inputs on the SX2, it can use them. Whereas that's not possible on the SR. It's uh, just a straight controller. It only works with Serato or whatever you're mapping it to. In your case, Serato. Um, RGB pads, you'll lose the RGB backlit pads if you don't go with the SX2. Uh, the SX2 has dedicated, uh, uh, buttons for like Serato flip, um, has a needle drop. So, you know, the touch strips that you see maybe on CDJs where you can, uh, put your finger on it and jump straight to a particular part of the track. Uh, you won't have that. Um, it has upgraded jog wheel displays. The SX2 is DVS capable, uh, not out of the box. You need to pay, I think it's a $99 upgrade, but if you're wanting to use, you know, timecode with uh, a pair of turntables or something like that, the SX2 is uh, capable of doing that. Uh, And then the only other thing to really mention is that the SR is USB powered, which you may consider to be an advantage or disadvantage depending on your approach. I tend to think of it as an advantage, I like things that are USB powered because it's one less thing I have to plug in and move around and wrangle in the DJ booth, um, and I'm a fan of anything that's really simple where I can get in and set up and get out, however, um, it makes you really reliant on the laptop and the power that your USB, you know, USB ports of your laptop can provide. So. Something to keep in mind that, uh, you know, it's USB powered and that's a pro or a con depending on who you ask. So um, depending on whether or not, you know, the big things probably do you want two or four channel control and that sort of thing. Or if you want to use DVS, uh, you're going to want to go with the DDJ-SX2 for about a grand but if you don't need that functionality, the SR is a really great option, and it comes in at less than $600. So you really do save a lot of money. Um, And if you do basic two-channel mixing, it's a great choice for you as a Serato user. Now, if you... I should mention that there is an alternative, uh, which I would recommend, which is the Terminal Mix 8 by ReLoop. This is also a really great controller, and I feel pretty good recommending it because I was actually sent one to review. um, It's probably been at least a year ago. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. I've got a YouTube video where I go over that controller. I was really impressed with that controller, and it's about the same price point as the SR, but it gives you the full 4-deck control, and it is Serato-ready. So uh, that might be something else you want to look into. Okay, so our next question comes from Brandon, and I'm not mentioning last names here because I didn't really uh, get permission, so to speak, before recording this from all the people to put everybody's names out there. So I'm just going to mention first names or what, and, um, or aliases or whatever they give me. Uh, so Brandon says, my biggest struggle is diversity. I will get one foot unstuck from a certain genre, but when I go back to play something different with a smooth transition, my other foot is still stuck. Got any suggestions for something different? Sure, Brandon. It's a great question. Um, diversity is kind of a tricky thing because you kind of it forces you to strike a balance between, you know, how much do I want to branch out? How many gigs do I want to be um, have available to me? But at the same time, wanting to kind of um, orient yourself around a certain sound. You know, some people might want to brand themselves as I'm this or that kind of DJ, and this is the kind of sound that I you know provide um so it's it's always kind of tricky so the first thing that I always say when it comes to questions like this is the important thing is to choose gigs that are appropriate to your sound or the sound that you want to promote or play um this is the the easiest way to uh sort of I guess happiness as a DJ because at least you know that you're playing, you know, you're not going to go to a wedding and play nothing but drum and bass the whole time. Probably. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe Tripp's wedding was that way. I don't know. He's a big drum and bass guy. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, how diverse do you want to be? Well, pick pick your gigs based around that. So I think I mentioned maybe it was last episode or, or maybe it was uh, prior to that. I kind of have a a uh, a split personality when it comes to DJing. So I have a sort of uh nightclub ravey kind of sound, and then I have a lounge kind of sound. And I use those at you know different times depending on the venue, the time of night, um, you know, what kind of event it is. So I don't go to, you know, a big nightclub or a dirty warehouse somewhere when it's 2 in the morning and play the same kind of stuff that I would play uh, at a street fair in the middle of the day with a general audience or at a lounge or something like that. So those are kind of the types of gigs that I've settled on that I like to do. Um, I don't do weddings and corporate events and that sort of thing, Um, so I don't have to worry so much about requests and types of music that other people want. Um, so if you do those types of gigs, that might be something to consider. Um, but another really important thing is to know your music. So um, if, if the problem is you're having trouble literally transitioning between very different types of music, uh, well, one obvious thing would be don't mix those tracks together, right? Um, it, it could be that the music that you're or the the track that you're trying to go into is is just not really compatible with what you're trying to do. So, a lot of times, if I've got a situation like that where I wanna I wanna kind of change the direction of my set, but I don't want it to be jarring, then I'll try to find ways to uh, meet in the middle. In other words, I'll try to find tracks that help me get there whether that's because they have a BPM change or that sort of thing. I might do this over the, the course of two to five tracks, depending on where I'm trying to get, rather than just slam it over. Um, part of the problem that you might be running into is that you're dealing with uh, very different tempo or BPM. Uh, so one thing that you might do there is, uh, well, for one thing, you know, it's always important to be aware that when you... You can do half-time or double-time, so if you're playing something that's, say, 140 BPM, uh, you can mix something that's 70 BPM because that's exactly half, you know, it's divisible into 140. Um, that's essentially the same tempo, 70 and 140, so you can, mi- you can mix those together. If you're trying to kind of slow your set way down um, without being jarring, you might try doing that, you know, play something that's half-time. Um, try mixing in key if you've got your keys track. Uh, your sorry, if you've got your tracks keyed, um, you can tr- you can get away with a little bit more if things are in the same key. If they're different styles, um, it sounds a lot more intentional that way. Um, one thing that I like to do if I'm trying to really get to another track that's that's either it's a different energy level or it's just a different style. Um, I tend to grab loops quite a bit. I'm a tractor user, and I'll grab either a 4-bar or up to a 32-bar loop of something that's, you know, not, uh, so to say, chorus or uh, something like that. Maybe just some beats or something that I can grab that I can use as a tool. Um, And then once you've got that loop and you're in that loop for a while you can do whatever it is you need to do to get to that next track. If it's just a different sounding track, you might just need to let it ride out for a while and then slowly, you know, maybe bring a looped piece of the incoming track in um, and maybe it won't be so jarring. Or, you know, once you've got that loop and you've got everything, uh, if you're using sync and you've got everything locked, then you can uh, start bringing the tempo down. Everything will stay in time while you're in that loop, and then you can go wherever you want to go from there. Another option is to not beat match it at all. If you're intentionally trying to make an extreme shift in your set for one reason or another, you know, there are a lot of ways you can do that. Um, There are a lot of effects chains that you can build, you can kind of you know, add a reverb and filter things up, or you know, I'm not going to get too far into the technical details of that Um, in this episode but you can use effects and filters and that sort of thing to just kind of or even breakdowns and build-ups you know if you've got a track and it hits a breakdown you can kind of fade into a build-up of another track and get away with it because then you don't have that shoes in the dryer effect of you know randomly timed beats slamming into each other um, and then finally, uh, one thing that you could do if you've got some music that you want to play and you know you're going to play it frequently and you're having trouble fitting them into DJ sets for one reason or another. For instance, maybe you are a hip-hop DJ and there's just not enough of an intro of the track. You know, maybe it starts right into the vocals and you don't have anything to work with, so you're always clashing, that sort of thing. You can create a custom edit. Yeah, this is getting a little bit more into production. It's kind of the light version of production, but you could open this in whatever your studio software of choice is um and, you know, grab pieces of the beat that are maybe elsewhere in the track if you've got enough, you know, clear 4, 8 or 16 bars that you could grab and throw on at the beginning and make it sound natural. Then you've got a, a sort of DJ-friendly custom version of that track that you can use anytime you want Um, and really all you need to add is a few bars on the front to something that you can grab a loop on Um, and then you know that intro to that track is as long as you ever need it to be. So I hope that helps Brandon Um, and You know, uh, props to you for wanting to diversify. But it's also important to remember, you know, you don't have to... You can diversify as much as you want with this, as long as you're playing to crowds and venues that are appropriate to your sound. So if you only want to play, like, dark brooding techno, there's nothing wrong with that. Just make sure that you're playing places where that's okay. Our next question comes from Alex. He says, Hi David, thanks for your site. I enjoyed reading the articles. Someone wants to trade me a laptop and a NewMark Mixtrack Pro 3 for my Pioneer XDJ-R1. I'm trying to find out if getting this setup is better than the one I'm currently using. I very much enjoy mixing on the R1, and I've not worked on any other controllers. What is your take on this, and what would you say? Okay, so for those who don't know, the Pioneer XDJ-R1 was a sort of early foray into standalone DJ controllers or standalone mixing consoles. Now this gets confusing because I you know I mentioned standalone earlier with the SX2. This is a different kind of standalone. What I what I mean by that is the device can be entirely used and is fully functional without the aid of a laptop or any software. So, in other words, the source of the music is the device itself. So, the R1 has, you know, a number of different sources. It can play CDs, it can play from USB, or it can play wirelessly from uh, a mobile device like an iPhone. The Mixtrack Pro 3 is just a DJ controller, well, it's a, it's a an all-in-one controller, including the audio interface, so it requires a laptop um, or a computer to be able to play. It requires the, your sound so, or your music source to be something other than that controller, which in this case would be a laptop. So your friend wants to trade you a laptop and a Mixtrack Pro 3 for your XDJ-R1, and you want to know if this is a good idea. Well, this is going to depend, um, of course, but Let's just go over what you would lose first if you went this route. So, if you got rid of your XDJ R1 and went with a MixTrack Pro 3, you would lose RecordBox entirely. So, this is if you're using RecordBox, uh, which is Pioneer's sort of uh, preparation software for DJs, um, if you are exporting a RecordBox library to USB and you want to be able to play that elsewhere and that sort of thing. You know, the Mixtrack Pro is a Serato controller, it is not a Pioneer record box controller, so you will lose that functionality if you're using that. You lose Remote Box, which is a sort of uh, remote control kind of thing where I guess you can use, I've never done this, but you can use your mobile device to somehow control the XDJ-R1 uh you you lose that standalone functionality like i said you have to have a laptop uh to use the mixtrack pro 3 you'll lose that cd and usb playback and of course the mobile device playback and you lose the ability to record directly to usb so if you are kind of in the habit of recording your sets to a usb key right on the device easy peasy uh you will lose that ability now, what will you gain with the Mixtrack Pro 3? In this case, uh, you gain a laptop, basically. So, you know, you the Mixtrack Pro 3 is a perfectly capable controller, um, and it comes with Serato Intro, and I think you can upgrade to the full version of Serato. But, uh, really, this is going to depend on how badly you want a laptop. Because if I'm just looking at the two devices independently... I'm going to go with the XDJ-R1. It's a a better, a more fully functional device than the Mixtrack Pro 3. But if you need a laptop and don't have one, that might change your mind. So it's entirely up to you. But given a choice, I would go with the XDJ-R1. But I have a laptop already, so <laughs> bear that in mind. So that's basically what I have to say about that. Um, DJ Smalls, he writes in and says, Hi, David. I really need your help on something. I'm a DJ and I got a job offer, but the club said I should come with my CV and a mixtape. But I'm confused about the CV. I don't know how to draft it. Please get back to me. Thank you. Now, I've never heard of this requirement, and in fact, uh, maybe this is just a product of of where I live or or something, but I had never even heard it referred to as a CV, but it sounds like basically this is sort of a uh, resume that they're wanting from you. Um, I've never heard of this requirement from a club. That's interesting. Uh, More typically, you'll be asked for a press kit. And these days, uh, it's, it's most often an EPK, an electronic press kit. What that would consist of, this would be an electronic version of, you know, all the stuff that kind of explains who you are. It's like a branding package that you can give to people. Um, so the basics uh, that it would include are a bio, uh, photos, uh, maybe some videos if you've got any kind of video promo material. Uh, your you know your productions, your best mix or two that uh, really accurately uh, shows your sound and what you're trying to bring to their venue. Um, notable performances. So if you've uh, you know been involved in really big productions or, uh, worked with really big names. That might be something you mention in your EPK, uh, and then links to, you know, your website, your social media, SoundCloud, whatever it is that you want to promote. Now I would say on the links, only link to places where you've got your stuff together. Don't link to something that's kind of half-assed. Uh, so if your Facebook page is just a wreck, then don't bother linking to that. Um, and then possibly a logo, uh, which I personally, I don't have a logo right now. I've been thinking about getting one, um, a logo as in for, you know, myself as an artist. Um, but if you did want to do that, you could go to a place like elance.com, which is where you can kind of hire, uh, people to do jobs like this. 99designs is another good option. They're typically a little more expensive, But you get a lot more options because it's sort of a, you know, a lot of different designers bid on your job. And then you can see their portfolio and you can make a decision from there. I've used 99designs for some things and I really enjoy the process. Um, So that works out. You can also go to Fiverr, which is F-I-V-E-R-R. This is a place basically where you can get anything done for five bucks. So you might not get the same high quality that you would get from uh, Elance, Ninety Nine Designs, or especially from you know if you hire a custom designer. But uh, you know, for five bucks, you know, you you could try a couple of different times to get a logo that you like, and and still only be out, you know, a little bit of money. So the bio, which is the first thing I mention, this is something important to have anyway, um, and I do have a couple of tips for your bio. Um don't give your whole life story, right? So if you don't already have a bio, these are some tips for you. Don't give your whole life story. Don't give your humble beginnings. Don't say from the lowly age of four he was a blah 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 blah. You know. People don't care if we're if I'm just being honest. So stick to the facts. Don't over inflate yourself. Um you know, describe your sound, what it is that you're going to bring to the table. Use uh, colorful adject- adjectives, you know, but not, not nonsense. Don't use buzzwords and, you know what I mean? Just try to describe your sound. What are some descriptive terms? What is it? What feelings are you trying to invoke in people? You know, that sort of thing. What is the purpose of your music? What is it? What is your brand? That's what you're trying to show in, you know, two to three paragraphs at the most. Um, you can mention career highlights, uh, maybe residencies that you've held, especially if you held them at uh, places that are relevant to your area or uh, places that are kind of a big deal. Uh, maybe mention any releases, any important stats you know if you if you have impressive stats like I get uh, you know 10,000 downloads a month on my mixes or something crazy like that, uh, that's something worth putting in there. I'm a little hesitant because when I say bio and I say don't mention your life story, don't talk about I, I played with Tiesto and whoever, you know, like, given, a, you know, name dropping, uh, people just kind of ignore that. But at the same time, an EPK is geared towards people who want to know what it is that you've done. This is kind of your CV or your resume as a DJ. Um, now this particular club, if they're asking for some hard copy of something, maybe you can just take these concepts and put it together in a nice little bound, you know, print it out and put it in a nice bound package or something like that. Um, or maybe they'll be happy with, with just an EPK. But if this is a little intimidating to you and you don't really want to take that on, uh, you might be familiar with Kilma, who's a frequent, uh, uh, guest on the show, and she actually does uh, EPKs for people, and very nice-looking ones, I might add. So if you go to don'tkillmavibe.com, so that's uh, K-I-L-M-A, don't kill mavibe, then uh, you go to let's see, it's need an EPK up at the top. If you click that, you'll see some examples. You'll see what hers looks like. Really, just nice imagery, consistent branding. Uh, pretty colors and and everything. It looks, you know, like a brochure. Um, And there's some other examples of of other ones that she's done. Uh, So she has a couple of different packages. You can get this whole thing done by her for uh, $150 or a more extensive one for about $235. So uh, if you're willing to just make an initial investment to have this all done, you could go to Kilma or somebody similar and just have this all put together assuming that you already have, you know, a couple of really good press photos, um, your bio, and and kind of the, the things that will be needed to put this package together. So that is one option. You could just kind of go and hire that out. Um, but as far as, you know, you might just ask them what it is they're looking for uh, when they say CV, but I think that if you showed up with something like this, it would really help. But I find it really odd that they hired you, but then required you to show your sort of DJ resume. I I find that interesting. But anywho, that's my recommendation for that. So I hope you found that helpful. Now, I'm going to take the next two questions together because they're related. SDH says, what kind of speakers would you recommend? Brand, size, any other information will be helpful. And Roman says, hey David, do you know how to get old TV cords to work for speakers? My speakers are the type where you have to put the wire around something instead of plugging in. If you know, please help me. I want to DJ soon. Okay, so when you say old TV cords, I'm going to address you first, Roman. Old TV cords, I'm assuming what you're talking about is RCA connectors, uh, which are the little sort of red and white uh, connectors that you would plug into the back of your DJ controller or an old VCR or that comes out of your Super Nintendo or DVD player or whatever. It's the red and white, and then sometimes there's a yellow cord for video, which is kind of not relevant to us, but I'm assuming that's what you mean because those are also often on DJ mixers and controllers. This is also known as a phono connector, uh, or a cinch connector. And this is, I say phono connector, as opposed to a phone connector, which is your either quarter inch or three and a half millimeter, like headphone jack. And so it sounds like what you're trying to do is plug passive speakers which require like a bare wire connection, directly into your DJ mixer or controller or whatever it is. So the problem there is that you're dealing with different types of signals. You're dealing with line level versus speaker level. So line level is uh, it's an audio signal that occurs before amplification. So this kind of signal is meant to feed audio to an amplifier, or some device that will amp the signal, like a stereo receiver, like a home audio stereo receiver, something like that. This is what the the line level signal is what comes out of most consumer electronics, like CD players, iPod, or a DJ mixer or controller. Your speaker level is an audio signal that is post-amplification. So, after a line-level signal enters an amplifier, the speaker-level signal is what comes out, and that's what gets output to your speakers. This is a much higher voltage signal and requires like actual speaker cables for safe transfer. So it sounds like you're trying to connect a line-level signal directly to your speaker, unamplified, which just isn't going to work. Um, and just as a side note, Uh, In the audio world, we also deal with mic and instrument level uh, outputs, which is very, very low or a weak signal, and those require what's called a preamp to bring it up to uh, just to line level. So uh, typically when I'm recording an episode of the podcast, and I've got my mic and Trip and Tony's mic, and they're plugged into my audio interface, which has mic preamps on it, Okay and then it amplifies that to a line-level signal, which I could then output to whatever. You have two options. You can connect your mixer or your controller, whatever it is. You can connect it to something that takes a line-level signal and then amplifies it to output it to speakers. So you could, you could connect your controller with the RCA cables, the red and white cables, to something like a home audio receiver, um, an amp, a PA system, that sort of thing, something that's meant to take a line level signal. Or you can buy powered speakers. Now, this is different because powered speakers are what they actually are, it's the speaker contains the powered amp already. So, for instance, I have a pair of speakers in my garage that I connect where my uh, DJ booth is, where I connect my controller. I have XLR connectors that go from my, my controller, which in my case is a Control S8. I plug it in there, and I plug the other end straight into my speakers. Okay, the XLR, XLR cable. And it works because that speaker is also plugged into the wall for power. Right, so it's got a built-in amplifier, So, what I'm actually plugging it into is the amplifier that's built in on the speaker, and then it outputs it on the speakers. So, this is opposed to a sort of passive setup, which is your more typical big uh, PA system where you would take the controller, you would plug it into the soundboard or whatever of the venue, and then they have a rack of amplifiers that they connect to, and that pushes the speaker level signals out to the speakers. This is just kind of, it's all in one, right? So for home users like you and me, it's extremely handy. This is the way that I really like to go. And this is the way that like uh, uh, for you producers out there, if you've got powered monitors, this is the same concept uh, where you plug, you know, each monitor, each speaker into the wall for power and then you connect your audio signal to that. And it just handles everything, right? So. As far as speaker recommendations, and that's kind of why I combined these two questions together, um, this is greatly going to depend on what you're using them for, uh, your personal taste, and of course your budget. So, uh, the best thing that you can do is try before you buy. So if you have access to these speakers, Uh, this is why I don't typically review speakers or headphones because it's all very subjective and everybody's going to have a different opinion on what sounds good and, and, and whatnot. But, um, if you have the ability to try before you buy, I highly recommend doing that. So if you live somewhere, uh, where you are within driving distance of say a guitar center we have here in the States, um, or somewhere like that, Sam Ash or whatever, where uh there's a maybe a listening room or something like that uh bearing in mind that even though you can go and listen and preview the and kind of a you know split test these speakers uh the in, the listening environment's gonna have an impact too so speakers always sound different once you get them into your room wherever you're going to have them but uh this is just the best you can do is uh you know, listen to them first. Uh, if you don't have that option, um, what I would do i'll I'll give you a couple of recommendations um of like really popular options. I'll tell you what I use now, I don't know if you're if you're going for like a live environment or if you are just looking to have something in your home studio or bedroom or something like that. Uh, that's going to depend, you know, that's going to kind of determine what I recommend. And you didn't really specify. So um, if you're going for something that's more of a live environment, if you want something that you could play uh, a small to a medium-sized room, you know, something like that, um, then I've got a couple of recommendations. These are more like PA speakers. So in other words, speakers that uh, your your crowd would be hearing. Um, I use a QSC is the brand, and they're K-12s. They're 1,000-watt speakers with 12-inch cones. But these are pretty expensive. These, are, these were a uh, tax refund <laughs> that I bought a couple years ago. Um, they cost me about $1,600 U.S. for the pair. Um, if you want to spend significantly less than that, another really popular option is the JBL EONs, or E-O-Ns. Six six twelves, They are also thousand watt. These are all thousand watt twelve inch speakers. I just made them consistent. You can get those for four hundred fifty each. So about nine hundred for the pair. Those are pretty popular options. Or if you're on more of a budget than that, uh, the Mackie Thump Twelve is a pretty popular option, and you can get that for about six hundred bucks for a pair of them. Now, six hundred dollars is not the price of entry here. I mean, you can you can spend way less than this. But if you're looking for recommendations, these are speakers that I've actually heard in person. Uh, I feel they're capable of rocking a small to medium-sized room without working too hard, that sort of thing. That doesn't mean that it's the only options out there. Uh, so uh, just bear that in mind. Now, if you're looking for more of uh, monitoring so, uh, say you're just wanting something to practice on. You need something for a room in your home, your home studio, your bedroom, your basement, whatever it is. Uh, then you can spend a lot less. So, at the, high, the basically the kind of accepted standard entry level kind of monitors for this are the KRK Rockets. That's R O K I T, Rocket. And they're uh, you've probably seen them before if you've looked at any pictures of DJ setups and, and that sort of thing. they're the black small black like bookshelf sized speakers that uh, have bright yellow cones, okay They come in five, six, and eight inch models. Uh, the five inch is 300 for the pair, the six inch goes for 400 for the pair, and the eight inch goes for 500 for a pair so. You know, for $300, bucks, you have got really decent speakers that you can, you know, use to record your mixes and practice on and that sort of thing. Um, there are much, much cheaper options than that. I just bring that up because they're very popular, and once again, I've heard them enough that I feel okay recommending those. Um, if you get on, like, GuitarCenter.com... Um, what I would do is go to GuitarCenter.com, check the top sellers in those categories, and then just kind of compare the specs and reviews, especially if you don't have a way to listen to these beforehand. Uh, You can do the same on Amazon. Just get on there, read reviews and that sort of thing, compare them. There are, I mean, some options that are less than $100 for the pair. Uh, So, I mean, you don't need to spend that much to, to just get in, but as far as a recommendation goes... I would go with the KRK Rockets for that sort of thing. So, Now, one thing is, we haven't even talked about subwoofers at all in this conversation. Um, You don't necessarily have to get one. In fact, uh, as I record this, I don't have a a sub connected to my QSCs. Um, They put out a pretty decent amount of bass, and it's more than I need for my garage and for the small shows that I play. But for larger shows, there is definitely a lack of, of... low end punch there and that sort of thing. So that's something else to keep in mind that the subwoofer is an additional cost if you're looking to put together like a good live setup. Um if you're not, if you just need something that you want for personal use, yeah, you know, it just depends on how much you want to spend and and that sort of thing. So some people will actually opt for a bigger cone size on the tops. And I say tops, that's just your basic speakers versus getting a sub so in other words they might get a pair of tops that are 15s you know I recommended 12 inch tops but you could get 15s and skip the sub and have a little bit more low end that sort of thing um, as long as you're willing to pay a little more um, but still not the price of a sub so it's kind of a trade-off but uh, but those are my recommendations so Um, Hopefully that helps. Uh, I know it's really subjective. It's, It's a hard question to answer because you know I could recommend the KRK Rockets to you and I might get 12 comments from people saying that those suck and that's just the way that this sort of thing goes. So if you have, I just reiterate, if you have the opportunity to listen first definitely do that. If not try to buy from like an online retailer that's really good about returns <laughs> and I'm not sure who that would be as far as audio equipment goes but um if you're if you're that picky just bear that in mind if you don't get to listen to it first that you know one person's trash is another man's treasure that sort of thing so all right moving on Jay asks I struggle with not being branded I have struggled with taking the reins of being something that I create rather than being a cog in a wheel that sort of resembles my idea. I struggle with taking control of my destiny and having people that I can count on to see it through. This is a really interesting question, Jay. Thank you so much for submitting this. So this is something that's really relevant to me right now, because as I record this, you know, it's the uh, kind of beginning, coming up on the middle of February, February, and Passionate DJ has been running for, we're coming up on three years now. Well, I mentioned in a previous episode that uh, Passionate DJ started as a sort of experiment. Um, I just kind of, I put a blog up and I started writing. It started gaining traction. Uh, Then I started promoting it a little bit. Then I started the podcast and then it started getting attention and this sort of thing. So I, I started putting all the pieces together here and there. But what I've ended up with over the past three years is kind of a mess. My uh, images are inconsistent. My colors are weird. My, you know I've got old content that's not up to date. It's kind of come together in a whole mess. And so this is something that I'm really getting serious about this year is going back and really saying, okay, now that I'm here and I've got people listening to me, What do I do with Passionate DJ and how do I turn it into the product that I want it to be? How do I brand this and make it cohesive? And so that when somebody sees something that I post, they immediately know that's something from Passionate DJ. You know, that sort of thing. So... Basically, for me personally, this is something that I'm working on with Passionate DJ. And then once I'm, this, I mean, I've got a designer working on new images right now. I'm going to be going back and hacking and slashing old articles, uh, reducing content in favor of better content. Um, You know, getting my my new logo squared away, my color scheme. Uh, All my header graphics for all my different social media channels are all going to be consistent. You know, that sort of thing. Because everything's just kind of randomly jumbled together now. And that's probably the same case for most DJs and producers and musicians who have been making music for a while. They didn't go into it with a branded, you know, artist package and, and then start making music. You know, the music started happening first. So... The important thing to realize is that when it comes to branding, branding's not just a logo, right? It's the entire image, it's the entire message that you're trying to send to your followers or your fans. So you want to ask yourself, what comes to people's minds when they think of you? You know, what comes to your mind when you think of, say, Apple? You know, I think of, it's kind of the, the... hip, cool, maybe hipster uh, approach to computing. It's the uh, easy, uh, low barrier to entry, but high cost of entry (laughs) sort of way to get involved in computing and and tablets and phones and stuff. Uh, When I think of Microsoft, I think they're the company that's got Everything locked down, they're the industry standard, everybody uses Windows, everybody's used Windows at some point in their life. You know, Microsoft has their own kind of branding that surrounds them. You know, what about Starbucks? When you think of Starbucks, what do you think? What about Tesla, Tesla Motors? What about to put to kind of rein it in a little bit? What about Dead Mouse? What do you think of when you think of Dead Mouse? You think of the big mouse head. You think of the big electro bass lines. Do you think of eighth note leads? Do you think of um, the way that he likes to kind of spar with people online? You know, all these things have their own different kind of uh, branding, if you will, that surrounds them. Some of it's intentional and some of it's not. You've got a brand whether you like it or not. The question is, do you have a consistent brand? and Do you have a brand that reflects what you want it to, right? So the first thing that I would start doing is cutting the fat. So what I mean by that is, as a DJ, you know, go to your music collection and start deciding what really belongs there. This is something that I'm doing right now because I'm kind of refining my sound that I'm going for as far as uh, clubs and stuff go. Um, One approach you can take to that is just start removing stuff or if you're really brave, you can just start over, um, which is I'm kind of doing an in-between of that to where I'm pulling a couple of, you know, I'm pulling some things out of my old crate, quote-unquote, that will work with my sound that I'm gearing towards, but I'm also kind of, I'm, I'm on a fresh start kind of thing, so I'm trying to bring in and build a new collection from scratch. That's kind of an ex- extreme approach. Uh, you know, you don't have to do that, but start thinking about, you know, which... How much useless filler do you have? How many songs do you have that you have because you like, but it doesn't really fit your sound? It doesn't fit your brand that you're trying to present. Um, what about your mixes? You know, your Mixcloud account or your homepage, wherever you keep your mixes. How many of those mixes don't even sound like you anymore? It might be worth getting rid of those. Or, you know, taking them offline. Because it's a lot better to give people one or two pieces of content that really represent you rather than try to make them figure it out over the course of 40 mixes because nobody's going to listen to all those, right? So uh, as far as your web content goes, your homepage, your SoundCloud, you know, what can you just start getting rid of and really consolidating and say, okay, what is it here? What is the, the, um, the important element of, uh, you know, what, what, what important elements of a DJ mix or of my collection or of my web content, what really reflects me and my brand and where I want to go, and get rid of the rest, okay? You want to determine who you are, and what your sound is, what your artistic approach is. You know, you need something to brand around. So if you've just been kind of doing it all willy-nilly, it's kind of hard to brand someone who's just a DJ who does everything, if that makes sense, okay? Um, Now, consistent imagery is important. So that's something, like I said, that I'm working on as we record this on Passionate DJ. And maybe if you're listening to this in the future, this has already happened. But, um, you know, as far as logo... Your website graphics, uh, your color scheme, your social media pages, and their header graphics that are on them. Um, your EPK, like we talked about before, does all that stuff have imagery that's consistent with each other? Does is it recognizable? Uh, when I look at Kilma's EPK, I immediately know whose EPK it is, and not just because I know what her face looks like, but she, All of her stuff is branded in that sort of way. She's got similar fonts. She's got similar uh, color schemes and logos and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, making it recognizable. Um, getting serious about social media. You know, one big problem that people have with social media, and especially DJs and producers, okay, social media is not distribution, okay? It's not a place for you to just spam everything that you create, because that's what most people do, and most people also don't care, right? Like, if you're just listening to my mix, listening to my mix, check out my track, look at this, going over and over and over again, you're just noise. You're getting lost in the noise, right? It, social media should be used as, primarily as a storytelling platform, Rather than considering it a place for people to receive your music, it should be a place for people to get to know who you are as an artist, okay? So if you've got a Facebook fan page, don't just, you know, post your mix three times a day and expect it to go anywhere. You know, it's about storytelling. It's about giving people a reason to follow you and pay attention, right? So... Uh, the, you know, it's it's important to operate. I would say operate natively within the platform, right? So if you're using Facebook, uh, Facebook is pretty wide out. You know, most people know how to use Facebook, but if you go to Instagram, you don't use that the same way that you use Facebook. You don't use Twitter the same way you use Facebook. You don't use Snapchat the same way that you use those, right? But so many people just duplicate all their content on all their social media channels, right? Which gives me no reason to follow them on those various channels, okay? So you want to operate, like I said, what I call natively within the platform. So if you're using, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some, some tips here in a minute. Um, we're going to get to that later. There's a, uh, a popular internet marketer, his name's Gary Vaynerchuk. He wrote a book called Jab, 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 Right Hook. And basically, the whole point of that book, and I, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, is give, 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 then ask. So, when I say give, what I'm, what I mean by that is uh, provide value to your audience in some way. Okay, give them something interesting to look at rather than just spamming them. Okay, and if you do that enough, if people enjoy following you on whatever your social media channel is, then you've already got them one over. And you keep providing value to them. You keep uh, you know, giving them things that they like, whether, whether they just literally like it or they actually click the like button. You keep giving them that stuff. Then on the rare occasion that you make an ask, which might be listen to my mix, buy my new track, come to my gig that sort of thing, they're a lot more likely to listen to you because you've already given them so much for free, right? So, you, you know, make every post matter. Before you post on Facebook or wherever it is, and I'm talking about a Facebook fan page, right? This is like we're approaching this from your artist's perspective. This should be something separate from your personal profile. But, you know, make every post matter. Ask yourself, does, is this going to provide value you know what i mean don't just post things all randomly and just and throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see see what sticks make every post matter okay i'm going to get to some uh some specific tips on social media platforms here in just a minute but um you know it's also important to think about what other kinds of content that you can use to promote yourself to you know catch people's attention tell your story that you know it's not just you spamming mixes so, a perfect example, in my case, I started a blog, Passionate DJ, and then a podcast. That's not directly related to what I do as an artist, and I try to be respectful of how I promote myself here, because you all didn't sign up to listen to me DJ. You signed up because you like what I have to say about DJing, right? So, it's important to be respectful of that. It's It also really helps from a branding perspective because people already know me for some other reason. They know my approach to DJing. They know how much it means to me. They know why it's important. And overall, it really, it helps me get gigs. It helps people, uh, it helps uh, with engagement. It helps people, you know, to start following me on their own just because they appreciate my approach, even if they'd never heard me before. That gets them interested enough to pay attention, okay? so a blog that sort of thing is a is a good way. you know this is something that's unrelated to what you're doing as an artist, but it's still a way that you could provide relevant value to your audience, right um, another Another thing you can do is post works in progress, especially if you're a producer. Uh, try to get feedback, give people that kind of behind the scenes look. You know, anytime you get new gear, you can post about that, maybe take a cool picture of it, give your thoughts on it, Uh, any modifications that you make to your studio, any new methods that you're trying, any new scratch techniques or whatever it is that you're doing. You know, start giving those as little tidbits. People like that storytelling. It's what keeps people engaged with you as an artist. Talk about uh, other, you know, DJ locals or friends. Talk about what you appreciate about them. And same goes for, say, promoters and venues. You know, just give people that behind-the-scenes stuff. And the more of that storytelling that you do for its own sake, the more effective it will be when you say, here's my mix, what do you think? Or, I'm playing this show, I would really appreciate you being there. As opposed to just posting that four times a day. Now, if you're going to, uh, as far as social media goes... There's this idea a lot of people like to kind of be everywhere and be on every platform because, you know, if I'm not on, say, Pinterest or whatever, uh, then I'm missing out on some amount of people that are only on Pinterest or that aren't on the, the other social media channels that I'm promoting. And there's a lot of value to that, and it's important to realize that. But at the same time, what a lot of people do is they go and they start social media pages all over the place... And they don't do any of them justice, right? So then you just have a bunch of half-assed, empty social media channels. So if you're just starting out, I recommend just pick one or two to focus on and get those going. And then kind of expand one at a time, you know, as needed. So if you're going to only pick two, I recommend uh, Facebook and Instagram, just starting off the bat. Uh, Facebook, because everybody is there, you you basically just kind of have to have a Facebook fan page. Um, And Instagram, because I'm really just having a lot of good luck with Instagram um, as far as building followers and that sort of thing. Um, Engagement is really good on Instagram because you can't link out to anything, right? So it's less spammy inherently. Um, you can't post anything that doesn't have a picture. I mean, it's all pictures, right? So the the whole uh, Instagram brand is very visual, right? So um, I've got some sp- uh, specific tips for Facebook and Instagram. Uh, as far as Facebook goes, you know, share things which are not your music. Share stuff that's not even yours, you know, but stuff that's relevant to you and your audience, and of course give credit where it's due. Um but you know don't just use it as a place to spam yourself. So uh if you've got uh, for example on a passionate DJ Facebook page occasionally I'll share like a really big fancy DJ room or uh an awesome booth. You know it's just it's just gear porn, right? I'll take that and then I'll share it as an image on Facebook and then I, I'll give credit to wherever I found it from. You know, this uh, was found via DJ Rooms and I'll tag them or whatever. Um, you know, that way you're you're catching an, an, a different segment of your audience that wouldn't have clicked on your mix or your song but saw that and decided to like it. And once they start engaging with your content, they're going to see more of your content because of how the Facebook algorithm works. Okay, so, uh, which kind of leads me into my next point: mix up your uh, types of post. Uh, So what I mean is, uh, one time you might want to post a link, and then the next time you might just want to post text, and then later you might post an image, and then you might post a video. Uh, link. And then you might upload a video via Facebook, that sort of thing. And the reason you want to do that is because you will get different levels of engagement for all those different uh, types of posts. And nobody, you know, knows 100% how the Facebook algorithm works all the time, because it's in a constant state of change. So if you're constantly mixing it up, you're kind of covering all the bases. So I try to, for example, when I post a new episode of the Passionate DJ podcast, the first thing I do is create a shareable image, and then I post that as an image, and then I give a description with a short link in, you know, in the comment or in the uh, description. So it would be like, uh, here's episode 34, and then it pops up with whatever image I'm using to promote it, and then in the box, I'll, I'll give one or two sentences about what the episode's about, and then I'll give, you know, go to passionatedj.com slash 34. Okay, and then the next time, you know, maybe the next day, I'll want to link to that episode again, but rather than just repost the same thing, this time I'll link them directly to my SoundCloud page. Okay, and this diversifying the way that you post these things uh, works out well for you in the end as far as Facebook's algorithm goes and what they throw in front of people because you don't see everything as it gets posted by everyone uh, because that was just completely unsustainable for Facebook. And I don't know if, you know, those of you who are old enough to remember when MySpace was the big thing, there was none of that kind of content moderation, and it just went nuts. Um, and, and MySpace became a huge mess, and, and you got lost in a sea of noise. Um, a lot of people complain about Facebook doing this because it gives them a very handy monetization strategy where you have to pay to boost posts and that sort of thing. But once again, Facebook is the big player here, and it's important to know how to operate within that platform. So. Those kind of things will help you to get more engagement and more views without having to spend any money. The other thing is that you can dive into your analytics on your Facebook fan page, and you can determine like the best times to post, so whenever you get the most engagement. But at the same time, still mix them up a little bit, because it might change over time, uh, and you'll still catch other you know pieces of your audience. For example people in Australia listen to the Passionate DJ podcast at a much different time than people who are in Chicago, right? So it's important to mix those times up a little bit, but the analytics will at least give you an idea of when you get the best engagement, okay? Don't overpost. So don't, don't post 10, 15, 20 times a day because Facebook will just start nerfing you, right? They'll just start cutting you off and showing it to less and less people, and it's counterproductive to do that, So, I would recommend a maximum of two to three times a day to post on your Facebook page, okay? As far as Instagram goes, Instagram is entirely visual. So, you want to make every picture, every shot that you take, count. You want to consider the angle, the lighting, the content, the background, the filter that you choose, all that kind of stuff. Instagram makes it really easy to take a decent photo. So, Take advantage of that. It, it, it amazes me when I see an Instagram account and then it's got some crappy random photos, you know, all over it. That make each one count. So for Passionate DJ, for example, I'll post um, records that I like and then I'll post, you know, something about it and why this record is special to me and that sort of thing. And I'll put it on, you know a nice table, or somewhere where there's a nice backdrop and decent lighting, and I'll kind of take the record out of the sleeve a little bit, and then I'll take kind of a 45 degree angle and make sure there's nothing ugly in the background, and I mean, it sounds like a lot of work, but it really just takes me a few seconds to do this every time. Um, and by the way, you can kind of batch process these too. Sometimes I'll go to my uh, my DJ booth or my record shelves, and I'll pull five or ten records out, and I'll take you know, several shots of those records and just save them on my phone so that I could post them later. Uh, so that if, you know, if I'm picking up my daughter from school or I'm at the gas station or waiting in line somewhere, um, I could take advantage of that opportunity and post one of those photos. And, uh, you know, that way you have a consistent posting of those photos, because Instagram is not like Facebook. Instagram shows everything that you post every time, at least as of the recording of this episode it does. Um, It's like Twitter in that way, to where you post it, anybody who's following you is going to see it in their feed, right? So uh, you can post a little more often than in Facebook, but don't abuse that power, because then, even though you're not getting kind of cut off by an algorithm, People just unfollow you, right? So another important thing is to use hashtags. They work on Instagram, okay? So hashtags are kind of pointless on Facebook. They work really well on Twitter, and they work extremely well on Instagram. So uh, I, what I try to do is combine very popular hashtags with less popular ones because if you, if you hashtag everything, just hashtag DJ, hashtag EDM, something like that, when people search for those hashtags, it's going to fly through their feed really quick because people are posting constantly with those hashtags. I mean, just like it might only be visible for a few seconds, right? So if you kind of mix it up, now post hashtag, you know, hashtags that are relevant to whatever it is that you're posting. So I might post, you know, a picture of a house record, and then I'll say hashtag. I always put hashtag passionate DJ, hashtag DJ, hashtag EDM, but then I'll put hashtag uh, deep house, maybe hashtag the artist name, if it's a lesser known artist, uh, hashtag vinyl junkie, hashtag vinyl collection, and that sort of thing. And you can post those as a comment as well, and they'll still work. So if you don't want to clutter up your description box, you can do it that way. Uh, The other thing is to consider what your Instagram profile looks like when somebody comes across it. So uh, rather than just kind of posting things randomly as you come across it, it's important to look at your own profile every now and then. And, and, you know, is my profile consistent with my brand? When I look at all the images I've posted on Facebook, you know, is it consistent? Is it branded? Or is it all over the place? Um, And then go through and just purge the old bs that's in there so if you had you know you posted some meme photo or something like that that's not really providing any value to your audience go through and delete those because when people look at your profile and they determine whether or not they want to follow you they're going to determine is this something i want to see in my feed all the time or not now if they click on passionate dj profile they're going to see cool behind the scenes shots of me recording in dayton studios they're going to see cool shots of records and stories behind them they're going to see, you know, one or two behind-the-scenes photos from a show, not like 12 random shots of lasers, but stuff that's just, you know, a little bit of thought put into it. And if they see that, that's what my profile looks like, they'll say, oh, this is the kind of stuff that he posts all the time, okay? And then they're more likely to follow you and to stay with you. Um, and then just one last quick tip for Instagram Uh, The method that a lot of people are using, and I've been experimenting with this myself and it's been working, is uh, to, you know, how to gain followers on Instagram is to go to profiles which are relevant to your audience. So for example, if you, uh, say you play like just straight up techno, okay, and you're trying to build an audience of techno fans, you might go to... Richie Houghton's Instagram or some label that you like to follow. Go to the, their Instagram and check out their followers, and then start following their followers. Okay. Now Instagram will cut you off at some amount of followers. I think it's it's on some algorithm. Nobody's really sure how many, but you could follow like say a hundred people a day. Okay, so you can go through and follow a bunch of them some percentage of those people are going to just follow you back automatically, okay? Then you can go back and unfollow some, you know, those people, or at least the ones that aren't really engaging with you or didn't follow you back, uh, and then go to the next hundred and follow them. And over time, if you're doing this, you know, in a smart way, where you're actually targeting people that you think might be interested in what you have to offer, Um, you know, this is one way to to gain followers quickly and get up to your first 500 or 1,000 followers. Uh, It's important not to get spammy doing this, right? You don't want to just go follow all willy-nilly and unfollow and go crazy. Um, But if you take a smart approach to it and don't abuse it, it can be a really powerful way to get, you know, people who really actually enjoy what you have uh, and what you're posting. So uh, that pretty much takes us to the end of the episode. So while you're at it, make sure you follow Passionate DJ on Facebook and Instagram, and you can watch my progress and help keep me honest on this stuff, okay? Uh, This is stuff that I'm always experimenting with, and so uh, once I've gotten Passionate DJ to where I want it to be as far as, you know, I'm going to go through and cut some old content, um, you know, I've got a new logo coming, I've got new imagery coming, and once I've got all that stuff into place, then I'm going to start focusing on me, David Michael, my artist stuff, uh, and doing the same thing. So when I get to that point, I'll start sharing with you guys what's working for me and what's not. And hopefully together we can all grow and learn. And I would love to hear feedback from you guys as to what is and isn't working. Okay, So if you want to uh, give me your input on that, just go to passionatedj.com forward slash ask. And leave me a voicemail, and I would love to hear how these things are going for you, okay? Now, coming up, we've got, uh, in the next few episodes, we've got, uh, we mentioned Kilma earlier, she's going to come back and help me do an episode, and we're going to talk about finding the time to promote yourself and the excuses that people give and how we can sort of get around that stuff and really developing ourselves as artists, um, I've got something coming for the drum and bass guys, and that's all I'm going to say on that. So if you're a d and fan, stay tuned. We've got something for you. And I'm also working on a very special interview that I'm not allowed to talk about yet, but hopefully it's going to be coming by March. So stay tuned for that, and keep on spinning, and we will see you on the next episode of the Passionate DJ Podcast. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash DJ or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning.